Jesus Christ commands the sinner, repent, turn, and believe. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, what a blessed word there, the place. Doesn't that remind you of all the anointed places in Scripture? All the anointed places where God did miraculous saving work in the Scriptures, those anointed places like a well in Samaria or a pool in Bethesda or a seaside in uh, Decapolis or a house in Capernaum or a hill outside of Jerusalem. When Jesus came to the place, He looked up and He said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So in those words that Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus, we see the Son of Man seeking and saving that which is lost. Because these words are a revelation to Zacchaeus and they're a revelation about who he is and who the Son of Man is and what his condition is and what this being saved will entail. So the first thing that Jesus says is he says Zacchaeus. So here is the most popular man in all of Israel, a man whom thousands of people are crowding around just to touch the hem of his garment. And he comes to this tree in which is the most hated and reviled man in all of Jericho. And Jesus looks straight at him and calls him by name. This is not in the text, but I can guarantee you that was the most shocking moment in Zacchaeus' life. For Jesus to look at him and speak his name, Zacchaeus. So what is he saying when he says his name to Zacchaeus? He's saying, Zacchaeus, I know you. I know you. And I don't just know you. I have known you from your mother's womb. I knew you when you decided, when you chose to become a tax collector. I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. I knew you before your mother's womb. Because Zacchaeus, I have always known you. If the words of Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 5 are true, then Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I have always known you. I have known you from the foundation of the world and I have loved you from the foundation of the world. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in Him. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us unto adoption in Christ Jesus according to the riches of His glory in Christ. If those words are true, then Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I have always known you. And I have always loved you. Something about the Messiah was understood by Jesus' contemporaries. And that was that when Messiah came, He would know things. 
things. He would just know things about you. We see this. Of course, that was biblical. That was scriptural. They believed that because that's what their, their scriptures taught them. But we see this evidenced in a couple of interesting places. For example, we think of John chapter 1, verses 40, uh, 47 and 49. This was the interchange between Jesus and Nathanael. You may remember this. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. But look at this, or listen to this. Nathanael's response. When Jesus says to Nathanael, Something to the effect that I knew you. Listen to Nathaniel's response. Rabbi, you are the son of God and the king of Israel. Something about Jesus knowing Nathaniel told Nathaniel, this man is the son of God. So there was something about Messiah when Messiah would come that the contemporaries of Jesus believed when Messiah comes, he will know things. He will know us. He will, well, as he will say in John 8, know his sheep and his sheep will know him. Or listen to the exchange between the Samaritan woman at the well and the villagers after Jesus told her about her sexual deviancy and her sexual sins. She goes into the village and says in John 4 and verse 29, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? You see, he knew me. He knew things about me. This must be the Christ. Zacchaeus, I know you. Hurry and come down. I don't think Jesus needed to say hurry. Do you? I think perhaps it may have been better advice if Jesus had said to Zacchaeus, don't fall, because that's what I would have done. If Jesus looked at me and said my name, I would have probably fallen out of that tree. But he says to Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down. Now, here's what we should understand about that statement. Jesus is not giving Zacchaeus a request. Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus, I possess all authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And now I command you, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, for I am staying at your house. You see, he is commanding Zacchaeus. He is saying to Zacchaeus, I hold authority. I know you, Zacchaeus, and I hold authority, and my authority includes you, and I'm telling you to come down from that tree, for we're going to your house. You know, oftentimes we want to think about the invitation to repent and believe that we see in the Scriptures. Oftentimes we we want to think about that in our contemporary Western church culture. We want to think about that as this request as though Jesus is this weak, impotent beggar coming to lost sinners and just saying, will you just please turn from your sin? Please. Will you just please leave your sin? And will you just please come to me and believe in me? And listen, that is not a biblical picture of Christ. Jesus Christ commands the sinner, repent, turn, and believe That's his command. It is an imperative in the Scriptures. Listen to Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So his words to Zacchaeus are saying to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, let's be clear about this. I know you and I possess authority over you. And I'm telling you right now, I don't care what sort of power you think you have in Jericho. 
I'm telling you now to come down out of that tree, for we are going to your house. He says, I must stay at your house. Now, when Jesus says, I must stay at your house, he's not saying, um, let's, let's go and have a cup of tea. He is saying to Zacchaeus, I am going to come and I am going to stay a while. I'm going to abide. In fact, that word stay there literally means to loose one's clothing. So if we were translated literally or ultra literally, we would say that Jesus said, hurry and come down for I must loose my clothing at your house. Meaning I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to be your guest and I'm going to be there for quite some time. So he's going to come to Zacchaeus' house. He's going to abide in his house. And in this statement, we see two things that Jesus is revealing to Zacchaeus. First of all, he is saying to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, your sins will be laid bare. Your sins will not be hidden from me, for I am coming to your house. Now, what sort of house do you suppose Zacchaeus lived in? We're not told. It's pure speculation. But is it safe to speculate that Zacchaeus lived in a house that was slightly above the standard of his neighbors? Do you think that Zacchaeus may have lived in a wealthy mansion? Do you think that Zacchaeus' house may have been furnished with the best that money could have bought? Do you think that his house would have plates and cups that were the finest that the artisans could make and maybe there was an expensive chandelier? And do you think Jesus is going to see all of this? You see, there's going to be no time for Zacchaeus to do any cleanup. You ever had somebody come over unexpected, just pop in? <laughs> you know what that's like. There's no time for cleanup, right? Whatever the dishes piled up in the sink, that's what they're going to see. The dirty clothes on the couch, that's what they're going to see. That's what it's like to come over unannounced. Jesus is going to Zacchaeus' house unannounced. And Jesus will walk into his house. And it's as though Jesus will see all of his life right there. What do you think Zacchaeus will think? As they turn the corner, he and Jesus are beside one another now. And as they turn the corner in the biggest house on the street is the one they're going to. And a servant meets them at the door. And as they walk in, Zacchaeus is thinking, I remember how I bought this. I remember what paid for this house. I remember what furnished this house. I realize that all of this is the result of my sin. And now my master is walking into it. Because that's the only point of entry Jesus has. The only point of entry into your soul is your worst possible moment. There is no entry point into your soul that's the point of what your house looks like after you've cleaned up. What Jesus enters is the real you. It's the you that lays everything bare and exposed. We used to have a sweet, dear lady in a previous church of mine. This church, we would... We, we thought highly of, of believers meeting together in our homes. And so we would go to one another's homes. We spent a lot of time in one another's homes. And she would say the most precious thing to me. She would say, you know, I learned a long time ago that when my brothers and sisters are coming over, I intentionally don't clean up. Because she said, why would I clean up? Because for me to clean up is showing you what's not really me. If you're my brother, if you're my sister, 
and I invite you over to my house, you should come over and you should see, this is the real me. This is the real Julie. <laughs> Isn't that precious? Now, in that is something that speaks to us of this man Zacchaeus, as Jesus would walk in and the embarrassment. If Zacchaeus's conscience has been pricked, which it has, then the embarrassment over the opulency that most likely was his life is laid bare before the Messiah. And Jesus will know. He will know every single person that was cheated to buy that house. He, was, he will know every single sin and every lie that Zacchaeus told to acquire that house. Hebrews 4 and verse 13 tells us that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And this is the same way, of course, the, the Samaritan woman at the well, as Jesus says to her, go and get your husband, knowing of her sexual sin. Or he says to the rich young ruler, sell everything you've got, knowing of his love for his money. But nevertheless, he enters the house. And here we see the second revelation from this statement. And that statement is this. Though you are a sinner, Zacchaeus, and though your house is literally built upon your sin, I have come to abide with you. And that is the only way that you know me. For you will only know me if I abide with you. For I came to abide with sinners. I came to fellowship with sinners. I didn't come to save from a distance. You know, Zacchaeus could have made his little speech to Jesus of how he's going to give his stuff away and everything. We know that's coming. He could have made that little speech there at the bottom of the tree. But that's not what Jesus came for. Jesus came to abide, to enter into his life and abide. Every lost sinner that the Son of Man seeks and saves comes in this same way. I know you. And all of your past is laid bare. And that's the past that I came to abide in. For Romans 8, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us that that is how God shows his love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So now verse 6, so he hurried, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. You can preach that verse to yourself because that's plain and open, isn't it? He, pre he received him joyfully. Now from verse 6 to 7, some time passes is the way I see it. Some time passes, maybe an evening, maybe a day passes. In verse 7, Jesus has now been in Zacchaeus' house and they have conversed and Jesus has taught him and, and they have come to know each other, I think, a little more. In verse 7, and when they saw it, meaning the Jericonians, when they saw it, is that the right way to say that, Jericonians? And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Again and again and again, our scriptures will show us this truth. And the truth is, when the grace of God is lavished upon the undeserving sinner, people see that and they don't like it. That's what the scriptures show us time and again. That when God bestows his grace upon the undeserving, those who feel themselves to be more deserving will hate that. In fact, that's what Jesus' parable in Matthew 20 is all about. Matthew 20, the parable about the workers in the vineyard. Jesus begins that parable by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. In other words, Jesus is saying, let me tell you about my kingdom. And the parable that he tells is a parable that says, my kingdom is a kingdom of grace 
And if you are to be a part of my kingdom, you must be okay with grace bestowed upon others. Because that's the whole point of the story. Those who work from the early morning hours, those who work most of the day, then some come and they work just a short time. Some work none at all. And everybody receives the same thing. And they're angry. And Jesus says, this is like the kingdom of God. So this is an important lesson for us because all of us, brothers and sisters, all of us struggle with this. You know what it's like to watch another person, another believer, a brother and sister in Christ, whom, whom you, in your heart, you, you, you feel yourself to have been more faithful than they you feel yourself to have been more devoted to Christ than they. You, you have been devoted to his body for decades. And then there was this other person who has lived for themselves for most of those same decades. But yet God has pricked their attention. He has convicted them and he has brought them into fellowship. And they have come into fellowship as faithful brothers and sisters, yet their faithfulness is short-lived compared to yours. And then you witness God begin to bless them in ways that you wish He would bless you. Maybe bless their business, maybe bless their, their employment or bless their family. And you ever have that sinking feeling, why is God doing that for them and not me? That is what Jesus is addressing. This is like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace. And you must be okay with grace bestowed unto others. This is, I believe, what was behind John the baptizer when he was thrown into prison. You remember when he was thrown into prison and he sends the message to, to Jesus to say, are you really the one? And what is Jesus' response? Jesus' response is, well, go back and tell John this. Tell him, tell him what you see. You see the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking. The prisoner set free. And blessed is he who is not offended in me. What did that mean? I think it meant that John is in prison while everybody else is being set free. Set free from their blindness, set free from their deafness. And literally, as the passage goes from Isaiah, the captives are set free. Meanwhile, John is forgotten in prison. And he begins to think, were you really the one? And if so, why am I still here? And Jesus' words to him are, blessed are those who are not offended when I show more grace to others than you. 